Hello. Hey, long time no chat. Right? <laughs> We're waiting for our guest, Jeremy, so. Well, I had little issues with the microphone not wanting to work, so that's what took me for a minute. I know. I swear this this app sometimes. I had to open it in browser and go to the microphone and, and, and set it to, to speakerphone. <laughs> it wouldn't just default it. Oh, he's messaging me. Uh-oh. He's wanting to know if he can be in another app while he's on that one. And sometimes I never know what this. I don't know what this. This is confusing. <laughs> I mean, we're still learning. Yeah. Hopefully once it switches over to Riverside, which is going to be like the app that Liz uses. I think that that one's a little bit easier to use. So. Um, and it doesn't drop out. Mid-recording. Yeah. Okay, he is joining now. Perfect. Got his intro already. I'm excited. Sorry, I'm just really excited for this episode. I am too. I really am. I've got like pages upon pages upon pages <laughs> of, of, of information that I know I'm not even going to get half of it out there. That's the thing about that you do so much notes and then you're like you don't know what you're gonna then you don't use half of it and you're like okay okay looks like jeremy's in um i am indeed here i am welcome uh, thank you thank you appreciate so, you guys for having me thank oh, you no for problem. coming on we love having you on we absolutely yeah, I've, been, love it. I've been uh i've been looking forward to this and uh you guys got me a little nervous so i i, I guess i gotta um, I'm going to make a fool of myself early on and then see if we can uh, get better as, as time goes on. Hey, well, I make a fool out of myself every time. It don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel better. Good. So we're going to uh, do your nice introduction here, Jeremy. Okay, perfect. Go right ahead. Uh, so everybody, I work with Jeremy. He's one of our adjusters at work. Um, just some little fun facts about him. He's and we already kind of alluded to this on the previous episode, but you're besties with one of our former guests, C. That's right, C Boss. Yep, C Boss. Shout out to shout out to C Boss. And he was yes. our guest on the Christmas movie episode. So, yep. if that yes. kind of puts puzzle pieces together for you all, then you know. Yes, you need to listen to that episode. He was fantastic. Uh, I agree. So. So, Jeremy, you were born in Atlanta, Georgia, but have not been back there. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. I was born um, in 1999. Uh, that's where my parents met. And I moved when I was uh, about a year and a half up to Wanakee, Wisconsin. And, yep, never went back. Uh, I've always wanted to, but um, never made the trip. So uh, when I when I tell people I'm from Atlanta, um, they try to ask me questions about, you know, where I lived and, and how I liked it. And um, sometimes I, I tell them the truth and I'm like, I really have no idea. But other times, <laughs> you know, I'll throw them a bone and be like, yeah, I love X place and Y place and, um, you know, kind of go from there. But yeah, yeah, never been back. Really want to go back. So you're a youngin' then. I am. Yeah, still a 90s baby though. I, I just hit that that mark. So um, I'm going to try to live to 100 and, um, you know, see three decades or no what is that it's not decades that'd be centuries centuries yeah. three yep three different centuries so um 
that that's the that's the plan for right now. That's my five year plan is to live to at least a hundred. You know what? That's okay. a really cool plan though, if you think about it. Yeah. How many yeah. people can say they've lived through three centuries? Yeah. And mine's kind of a technicality just because I was ninety-nine, but you know what? Still, hey, it, still it still counts. That's all Yeah, I was gonna say we were seniors in ninety nine. Me and Lex. I was a junior. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I keep forgetting. I got um, held back in first grade. <laughs> so she was supposed to graduate with me. Got it. Yeah, I was. Um, I was. I have a July birthday, so I was. I was really old for, uh, for my grade. I was. I was eighteen my entire, entire senior year. Oh, same, same. Because my birthday yep. is in August, so I was mm -hmm. nineteen. Oh yeah. Yeah, first one to get my license. I had to drive everybody around. Yeah, I, I, I had the uh, same problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone asking me for rides. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact, which Lex, you'll probably be able to relate to this because she played sports. But so Jeremy has broken all his toes and eight of his fingers over the years playing sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, played, I played very contact sports growing up, uh, football, hockey, lacrosse play some baseball, um, and just love to be active, compete. And uh, as luck would have it, um, I've broken all of my toes at different times. Uh, and no, you know, I can still walk, can still run. So that's all I really need them for, I think. Wow, that's um, crazy that you broke all of them. Even, I mean, even though you did it at different times, but I just cannot fathom, you know, saying, being able to say, hey, I broke all of my toes at one <laughs> I'm or another. Yeah. yeah. Luckily, the uh, no surgeries or anything. I've only gotten surgery on my yes. on my thumb, and that was in a hockey injury when I was really young. But um, yeah, it's kind of like my. It's a good icebreaker. It's a good like, what's <laughs> unique about you? And I'm like, I have very bad dexterity in my in most of my fingers and toes because I've broken them all. So yeah, I'm still here though, still kicking. Yeah. And and also too, you're a drummer in a band. Yes, yes. Oh, that Thank is you for, cool. Yeah, for, for bringing that up. That makes me sound really cool. But if you, um, you know, look us up, you'd be like, oh, that's that's cute. You guys have a cute little band. Uh, we just play, like, basement gigs. And um, the, I, I have some unfortunate news, though. The band, it broke up. So, um, oh, yeah, no. the band, band recently broke up. Um, I actually filled in for, for a drummer who moved away. Um, their drummer moved away about a year ago, and they were looking for someone. And um, you know, they're kind of friends of friends. But uh, yeah, they graduated from UW and um, moved to all all over uh, Denver, Nashville. Um, and so, shout out to them. I'll plug the band White Collar Crime. Shout out to shout out to those guys. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun, and I learned a lot. So uh, yeah, thank you for for bringing that up. That makes me sound very <laughs> impressive, Casey. You're very impressive. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know about that, but uh, the the band was it was kind of surreal. I never thought I would uh, do something like that. I I wish I had musical talent. Lex actually is like the musical person out of us. She studied a little bit of music in in college. Yeah, oh, nice. I was I was going to college. I was taking business classes, and I was also taking all the college music courses because I wanted to be a music producer. Oh, nice! Yeah. So, do you do you play any instruments or anything like that? Well, 
I originally played the flute and the piccolo, but I've had two jaw surgeries and I cannot play either one anymore because I can't. My bottom lip is numb. But I also I learned how to play the saxophone, the clarinet. I've played I played auxiliary percussion when my mouth was wired shut in high school. So I could be and still so I could still, you know, participate in band. So I've played some really cool percussion instruments and jazz band. So do you know how to read music, like percussion you music? Know, I used to be able to, yes. I Now you could probably set music in front of me and I probably wouldn't be able to tell you much about it because it's been so long. Yeah, I have no idea. I have zero clue how to read um, music and I just go off the field and it, and it worked, but um, that's something that I want to learn. It seems complex. It's very complex. Yeah, I have to, I'd have to put some time into it, but um, luckily for me, we played songs that you can just, you know, look them up, listen to them a good amount, and, and go from there. You can kind of simplify it or, or make it more complex as, as you want, but uh, that's that's really cool. I, I learned how to play the trumpet when I was younger, too, so I don't know if you ever did uh, did the trumpet. No, I never no. did any of the horns. Mm-hmm. It was just all the woodwinds and an auxiliary percussion. See, I couldn't make my mouth, like, do it. When I would play those instruments, no sound would come out. It's like a different, you know, getting the air out. I can't, I just couldn't figure that out. So, I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> um, hey, I'm jealous of the fact that you can play the drums, so. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, drum, drums are awesome. They're fun, yeah. So, Jeremy, your nickname is Moose. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we need to. It reminds me of the supernatural. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. I'm surprised that I haven't um, told you it yet. But I, I go by, obviously, you know, uh, at work and with, with everybody, and just meeting, you know, new people. I go with the government name. I go with Jeremy. I don't lead with the, with the nickname. Um, but it's a great story. So I was. Uh, I was a premature baby. I was I was a month early, and uh, premature babies are supposed to be you know s- small. They're not expecting um, them to be big or weigh that much. Uh, I was I was eight pounds two ounces uh, four weeks early, and I was just I was just chunky, just a big chunk. And um, they weren't you know my my parents weren't expecting it. The doctors weren't expecting it. Uh, but there I was, you know, just this, this big baby. And um, as you know, I was I was a few months old, and uh, my dad was just showing me off as as one would. And he's just yeah, he's just so big and and chunky. He just looks like a moose. He's just huge, and um, it stuck. It stuck. So I kind of grew up with uh, with that nickname and. Um, I was confused at first, you know, in kindergarten, first grade, like, why are people calling me Moose? And uh, I, I, I figured it out as time went on, but pretty good nickname. It could have been a lot worse. Moose is <laughs> yeah. pretty solid, that I is, think. It could have been like pretty creative. Or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. No, I like that. I like that story. That's a cute story. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's kind of like uh, if I ever had like an animal, you know, in these future years, I think that's a good dog name is Moose. I think that's like a, a, a really yeah. good dog name. 
When you say that, I think of like Great Danes or like Mastiffs or some big giant dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't see, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know, you know, what I would compare myself to as a dog. I'd probably be like, maybe like a, like a golden doodle. That's a, that would be, that'd be my spirit dog. What about you guys? Well, I'm, we joke that in the friendship, uh, Alexis is the black cat and I'm the golden retriever because our personalities. <laughs> yeah. You, you gotta have both, you know, it's a duo. And I, um, I had, I have cat or I have a cat. I had two until two weeks ago. Um, and they're, they were, they're munchkins. So they've got the short little legs. Oh yeah. So they're, so they're fun animals. They, they, they're just amazing little creatures. And I know people are like, Oh, you shouldn't do that. You need to rescue and blah, blah, blah. But you know, some of us have preferences. Of course. Yeah. What do you guys, would you guys say you're more cat people or dog people? I'm more dog. cat person. Mm-hmm. In case he's more of a dog person. Yeah, I grew up with I grew up with two cats, and um, they hated me. They they only liked my mom, and I was always <laughs> jealous of her. They always gave me the cold shoulder. They were very cuddly. I know. I they they. Uh, I would always be jealous when I go over to friends' houses, and they just have these cute cuddly cats, and I just I couldn't relate to that. I I was always yearning for their approval oh i'm sorry that (laughs) sucks no they're they're cute they're they're uh they're they're big uh they're big cats one's a calico and one's uh uh like a grayish cat so yeah they're they're cute oh i was gonna mention too this will be the last part of your intro awesome is you have banter with tori i've been told oh yeah yeah me and uh, shout out to Tori. Um, there's going to be a lot of shout outs throughout this uh, throughout <laughs> this episode for me, so just prepare for that. But uh, no, shout out to to Tori. Uh, she taught me everything I know. Um, and the office that I'm in is not the same office as as Casey. I'm we're in um, different places, but uh, she was you know one of the only adjusters, uh, one of the only adjusters there when I started, and. Um, yeah, she she taught me basically everything I know, and uh, I think you know I like to think that I'm I'm decent at my job, so she has a lot to do with it. But we go we go back and forth. We have that kind of uh, brother sister relationship uh, that 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 works and is, is a lot of fun in the office. So shout yeah. out to shout out to Tori. I heard she tells you to go away, and you usually do. Yeah, because I love bugging people. It's fun. <laughs> It's, you know, we, we put a lot of work in, and then at some point you just need a little break and go tap her on the shoulder. Hey, what are you doing over here? She's just, I'm doing my work. Like, you know, stop bugging me, but it's, uh, it's fun. You need that. You need that to, um, you know, just enjoy what you're doing. I agree. Yeah. Um, so I know me and Alexis kind of alluded to, what the topic was going to be. We're going to be talking about the Stephen Avery case, which I'm kind of amazed that some people I've told that never heard about this case. Like my mom has never heard about this case. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to say it. Well, Jeremy, why don't you say where it takes place? Cause right, I'm yeah. probably going to mess it up. Uh, yeah. I'll say it and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Uh, <laughs> this, this took place in, um, 
Manitowoc County. Manitowoc. Yeah, and that's uh, northern Wisconsin, um, up by kind of by the Green Bay area. It's yes. it's almost it's closer to Lake Michigan. Um, for for our listeners, to give you uh, go ahead, grab a map, and and go search like Sheboygan, Manitowoc. Um, small smaller smaller community. Uh, kind of everyone knows everyone, but uh, yeah, that's where it took place. Very rural mm-hmm. area. Yeah. Um, so we kind of are going to break it in parts. Um, Lex is going to start with, um, cause there's two convicts, uh, he's had two convictions. So we'll start with the, the one that's for the sexual assault. Lex, do you want to start? Absolutely. So in 1985, a woman named Penny Bernston was running along Lake Michigan, um, on the beach in Wisconsin, and she was attacked and raped by a man who drug her back to a wooded area from the beach. Um, while she was in the hospital and doing t- talking to the police and everything, she asked the police if they had a suspect in mind, and they did. And um, she later found out that it would be Stephen Avery who they were thinking about. But what they didn't take into, into to this case was the fact that a man named Gregory Allen just a year before had assaulted a woman on nearly the same stretch of beach and basically the same way, but he got a slap on the wrist. And Stephen had 16 alibi witnesses saying he was not in that area when that happened. So Stephen was sentenced to 32 years in prison. But let's go back a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. So when she told the sheriff that she was attacked by a white man and they did the lineup and they brought pictures for her and the picture that looked closest to her assailant was Stephen Avery. Well, when they did a lineup, they also included um, people of color. So it wasn't really a, it, it was kind of, the lineup was biased from the start. You can see this now where, I, where this is going. So the only one that looked like the man that attacked her was, was Stephen Avery. And um, we go back. So um, the Minnetowoc County DA charges Avery with rape and succeeded in getting him a conviction of 32 years in prison for that. So while he's in prison, a man named Gregory Allen kidnaps and sexually assaults a Green Bay woman. And this was committed almost 10 years to the day of the crime Avery was sent into prison for. And I I got that information from um, the Green Bay Press Gazette. And, um, uh, and police believe that Allen had assaulted more than three women in the Green Bay area at that time. And, um, the sketch they had a police sketch artist come in 
to talk to Penny and when they drew it and the sketch artist testified that is clearly Avery. They didn't even bring up the fact about um, Gregory Allen, who had a year beforehand, you know, was on that same beach doing the same thing that they accused Stephen Avery of doing. So Penny has stated, even though she told them, you know, that it was a white person, they still included people who were not. And that is really confusing because if you say, okay, I know it was a white person, you'd think they'd include all white people in the lineup. And I'm not trying but, to get into like racial stuff or anything. I'm just stating the facts from this case. Okay. Yeah. So in, let's see, what year was it? In 2003, um, DNA testing has you know come a long way all those years so in 2003 avery was released from prison because of the fact the dna of a pubic hair they found belonged to gregory allen so they um they let stephen avery go and sent him home, and you can tell that they were not happy with his exoneration. Oh no, they were mad. They were mad about it. And he ended up, what the lawyers wanted to do, they wanted a million dollars for each year he was in prison. So they wanted $18 million because he spent 18 years in prison for a rape he did not commit. And then they wanted another 18000 or 18 million, excuse me, um, just for, you know, damages and, you know, everything he missed out in life. Yes. So two years after this happened, or not, well, yeah, I mean. About two years. Yeah, but um, Penny Bernstein declined to speak with a lot of the documentaries because they figured they were she figured they were close to um steven's family and stuff and a lot of this information is coming from the forgiveness project the innocence project the marshall project and the green bray press gazette i want to make sure i get all my my sources out here um but in her own words um she says what it felt like to discover that she had misidentified Avery and how she felt about it. And to quote her, she said, the day I learned of the exoneration was worse than the day I was assaulted. I really thought back when my attacker grabbed me, I scratched him, I kicked him, I did not go gently. After the DNA results came back, I just felt powerless. I can't unring this bell. Steve back the years that he's lost. So, I mean, she felt in after the exoneration, there was a lot of publicity along this. And people had a lot of sympathy for Steven. And Penny had Penny has stated that she did apologize to Steven. And um she felt that it was odd that the authorities would not apologize either for their mistakes. She thought that was really odd. So going from that, 
goes basically into she's into what your guys's part is because um she doesn't uh, my notes are all jumbled excuse me i'm sorry y'all it's okay um she um had asked steven because she went and met him and said do you have any questions of me and his mom just shrugged and said there's not much to say but when steve went to when they went to leave steve gave her a big bear hug and said and she said steve i am so sorry and he said it's okay penny it's over yeah she said it felt sincere to her at the time yeah because i don't think Steven ever was mad at her. No, and she and he stated in his words and his and this is this is this is word for word quote, I don't blame the victim. What happened to her was horrible. It's the cops that set me up. Oh yeah. So that sets us up nicely to start your part of the podcast. With well, yeah. Because I mean that I mean they I mean they the police the police, once they were knew they that Stephen had filed that thirty-six million dollar lawsuit, they were doing anything and everything they can't, could to get out of it. Oh yeah, they were mad. They were yeah. really mad, and I'm, I'm and I just, ugh, Kratz and Vogel. <laughs> um, um, but um, I was gonna say that, and and they didn't lose their jobs either. They weren't even or, investigated over it. They didn't get in trouble. I'm surprised IAB didn't look into this, but they were they were livid that he was going to get that that money, and that's a lot of money for that area too, because yeah. we talked about it being rural a rural area. That yeah, you know. and 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 what I um, you know watching the documentary and and just you know researching more about the case, I uh, you know he he. It maintained his innocence um, the entire time. Yeah. So he never, obviously, he was convicted of of the, the rape, sexual assault, um, but he never once admitted to doing it because he factually didn't do it, and obviously was later exonerated from it. Um, and then, you know, once once he was exonerated, uh, Stephen was kind of, you know, the uh, a spokesperson for a lot yeah. of criminal justice reform. And yes. the, the state of Wisconsin, um, you know, they kind of used him as a, as a, as a beacon um, to say, you know, reform is needed. And, um, you know, look what happened to, to Stephen. We don't want this happening to other people. Uh, and it was I think it was kind of a slap in the face to to the, the Manitowoc, you know, um, sheriff's office and uh, the police. Um, because they were basically holding Stephen up as an example of, you know, the the work that they didn't do, and so I can I can only imagine how it made them feel when um, everyone is praising Stephen and uh, and kind of highlighting the the miscues that happened in in that investigation. Well, it's just crazy. Like that first night at the hospital, they said it was him. Like, yeah, this, and the sketch artist, I know he was so proud and he hangs it up in his office and, but they had him pegged like right away and he was hours away. Yeah. I think there was a lot of, uh, um, animosity between, you know, the, the police departments and, um, 
the Avery's. Uh, the Avery's oh. had a uh, a salvage yard, and they were kind of, um, you know, off and and had a big family, and they were kind of outcasts in in that community. And um, Stephen, you know, he he did make mistakes. He did uh, in, in his life, and yep. Um, they they kind of. Uh, I think they didn't like him, and I don't. I think they, uh, you know, didn't like uh, that the Averys kind of were off doing their own thing and and wanted to. I think they looked know. down upon them. Yeah, exactly. I I do too. Um, they weren't as educated. They uh, they kind of you know, they were poor. They, they, yeah, poor. and and they they didn't um, uh, they didn't involve themselves in community activities. Like I said, they're just kind of off doing their own thing. And uh, yeah, I, I think that there was definitely some um, some bad blood between them that kind of led to all of this where they they had him in mind before uh, uh, Penny Bernstein even knew, you know, what was what was going on. And, and the crazy thing is we don't even know how many victims Alan had. That's I think that's the, the really tough part about, um, you know, his his first conviction is that uh, the guy who actually committed the assault, he he went off and was a free man and then committed more crimes. It's really I think that's really hard for anybody to to wrap their head around just because it's so awful. I mean, that's just that's not um, what they wanted. That's not what anybody wanted. And uh I, I think that that gave them kind of the, um, I guess I'll say motivation in a way to kind of, um, you know, keep St- Stephen Avery in mind for for other crimes. And obviously we know, like we're going to get into that, um, that's what happened. Well, yeah. And going back a little bit, I did forget one tidbit of information. And that was that another like it wasn't the manitowoc county it was a different it was like a city cop i believe or a different county had called and talked to penny and was like hey have you heard about this and when she called manitowoc county and asked them hey what about this other sex what am i hearing about this other suspect and they told to media or anybody else because it'll just confuse her um yeah they they thought they got their guy and um there there's there's a principle of like finality with um the criminal justice system you know when they they make a decision they like to stick to it and that's you know what what happened um they thought they got their guy and they wanted it to be an open and shut case i wonder if see i don't think that they thought that i i think that they knew he didn't do it and they were just willing to sacrifice him i think so too they just wanted somebody so bad yeah they because he had all those incidents and then he supposedly uh had that incident with his cousin and then the cousin like the uh the cop was in the the family or whatever and didn't Mm -hmm. like him and i'm not saying he's a perfect victim because you know he was doing some stuff but he also went away when he was super young and had like five kids and Mm-hmm. And that's even that's where that's where he was when um, Penny Bernstein well, or Bernstein was assaulted. He was with his wife because she had just had a baby. 
Or was it, yep. she had, was that the time she had twins? I can't remember. They had twins, but she had the two kids, I believe, two or three kids, not with Steven. Okay. So, I mean, how if he's at home with the kids, how in the heck is he assaulting somebody? And then his family saw him. He had multiple witnesses saw him. Six, so it, 16 altogether, I counted. But, I, yeah, and I don't think that they cared. I think they were like, okay, it's him. Let's just wrap this up and, you know. Well, I think they, because they were his family members, I think they, they thought that those witnesses were biased. You know, they were going to say oh. whatever they needed to say to, um, to help Stephen out. And so I think they used that against him that, yeah, he had all these witnesses, um, but they were all related to him. And so obviously they're, they're biased or something like that. Uh, and so they, they kind of threw out their credibility, which is tough. You know, that's a lot of people to, to be around. And then he gets out for two years. He's out for you know, two years until they're after. Their, and, and you, you know, you know, they were after him those whole two years trying to figure something out. Yeah, because, yeah, because he was in the media. He was, you know, working with the legislators and stuff and mm -hmm. he was going to get this money and. And like I said, these cops and investigators, nothing really happened. They didn't really seem too worried that anything was going to happen to them. And one of the things that I found the, the most interesting about kind of that time period in between um, him being exonerated and then, uh, you know, him, him being uh, a suspect in, um, in a murder was that uh, you, what, I, what I found out is um, the lawsuit that he was bringing against uh manitowoc county if he won that i think it's 36 million dollars in mm -hmm. in total um it wouldn't have been covered by you know the insurance. police departments and everything they they have insurance um for for stuff like this and uh and their insurance was declining to um pay any of the money so the the money would have come directly from the county and uh, I thought that was definitely kind of the, the most interesting part about that, because not only were they being kind of accused of not doing their job, if he went and, and he won that lawsuit against them, uh, that would be money coming directly from uh, Manitowoc County and, the, and the, the sheriff's office. And I think it just kind of leads into the idea that they didn't want to pay that money. <laughs> they, they didn't want to have to fork up that money and... Um, they were going to do anything they could to kind of uh, maintain that, that narrative that Stephen Avery is not a good guy. He's a bad guy and he, he, he doesn't deserve that money and, and we don't want to pay him. And it kind of, yeah, kind of led into that, uh, you know, the, him being a suspect in, in another crime. Yeah. Well, in the Wisconsin yeah. Attorney General ordered the D Division of Criminal Investigation to in examine the Manitowoc County's handling of Stevens' 1985 case. Mm -hmm. And they come back and they find no wrongdoings of the sheriff or the DA. Yeah, Ex that's what was crazy. I want that explained to me. Like, why? I mean, it just boggles, yeah. it blows my, it melts my mind, this whole case does. <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to wrap your head around it because it seems pretty obvious to us. You're just to people who uh, who are outside of of the system. You know, it seems like there's a, a little bit of lack of common sense with with that. But 
that was their finding. Yeah. And then, so in 2005, it was Halloween, I believe. Yes. 2005. So, um, Teresa Hallback, she goes to the salvage yard because she works for Auto Trader. And, and she'd been there like five times before this to take pictures and stuff. And she's met Stephen many times. You know, Stephen had her cell phone number. Um, and I forgot what they called it on the documentary, but where they would take pictures like on the side to make extra money. A side hustle. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what yeah. they refer to them as hustle, hustle shots. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes there and obviously that's the last time anybody had seen her. And this, on that day. and this is where the case starts to take a really crazy turn of events. Yeah. yeah. But the day after that, um, that, October 31st was the day that Teresa was last seen. But the yep. day after that, on November 1st, the Avery bill passed. Yes. That's, yeah. Then you got November 3rd, and that's when they finally reported missing. Yes. And it's wild that it was co-workers that reported her missing and not like her roommate, roommate the, the friends or family. It was the obsessive ex-boyfriend. Yep. Yep. The Yeah. He's kind of interesting. Uh, it's just you would think that, especially since her brother seemed like they're so close to her, that, that they would have noticed right away. You know. That she was missed. Like, why would you wait that long? Yeah, I think it was like almost like two or three days after um, she was last heard from. That's when they finally were like, something's not right here. Um, and then and then reported it. And then the ex-boyfriend led the charge of looking for her, which I thought that was kind of odd. And he went straight to the Avery's on that one. Yep. Yep. And he was yeah, leading it. That's that, yeah. That's kind of where they, um, I guess that's where she was last um, seen, and so that's where they kind of started. But um, I, I think that a lot of the, uh, and, and you know, as they started investigating, um, what is kind of throughout this whole, uh, you know, murder case is that it, it was a lot of the same exact people yep. who investigated. Uh, the the rape sexual assault in in the eighties that yep. um, responded to to this you know this call and, and investigated the um, the Avery Salvage Yard uh, and so they already knew exactly who they were working with and and um, they kind of I think they were licking their chops a little bit when they heard oh this is the last place that she was seen so they could um, you know go back and and uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, conflict of interest is definitely at play. I think that's that's a big kind of theme um, throughout throughout the the investigation. Is like how in the world are you going to have people who um, you know convicted this this guy uh, wrongfully that are going to be investigating another crime um, right after he was exonerated for um, for another crime? So. Uh, you would think that there would be like new people, uh, fresh eyes, people who, um, you know, weren't as involved with the other other case, but that wasn't 
that wasn't what happened. It was it was the same deputies and sheriffs and and things like that. So that was that kind of raised the first red flags, I think, in the documentary. Well, well, they weren't supposed to have anything to do with that case, though. Yeah, because yeah. Judge, Judge Willis excluded Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department to be involved in the case because of the conflict of interest because of the 85 case that they botched. Mm-hmm. But if you go through and look, they still stay involved the entire case. Yep. Yeah, they're documented like all throughout the investigation through in months. You know, they go back to Stephen Avery's um, trailer in the salvage yard numerous times. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think as we'll talk about different different evidence came in at different times. Yeah. And it, it was just very sketchy. And, very and, sketchy. And you think, yeah. OK, it's a salvage yard. If I got a car I'm going to get rid of, I'm going to crush it and put it somewhere yeah. no one can find it. It was not crushed. Yeah. There was there was there was damage to it, yes. And that's possibly from when it was driven or drove back onto the Avery property um from the quarry. But no one would they, they wouldn't take that account into evidence. You know, the 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 you know the the paint on the the light that was busted out that they tried to say she it was like that before and she filed yep. an insurance claim and and the yeah. insurance claim was for a broken windshield wiper yeah and i don't think i think it was broken after but what i found was really funny is like when the cousin went on the salvage yard and, and keep in mind this is like a huge salvage yard i can't remember mm-hmm. the, the acreage but within five minutes she finds Teresa's car there on a salvage yard that big, I mean, and in the documentary, you can see the aerial views. It's huge. It would take forever to find what you're looking for on that property. And I like, and he had the car crusher. If if that's something I would do, I would just crush the car so that that they're, you know, because you know that that's where they're going to search. And all those and other cars back there had it. been stripped. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was like uh, shielded by really poorly too i mean if you're trying to hide a car that's involved in a crime like that i think the, the crushing it is a great point you could have just crushed it and yeah no, no evidence but i guess there was like they just put like some branches, branches. on the tree <laughs> or sorry branches <laughs> on the car trying to you know hide it quote unquote um and that's and obviously we got found pretty quick yeah and that's the only car that would that was set up like that that had stuff all around it to hide it like i mean I, it just does not make any sense. And it was close to that quarry, too. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. It came into the... It, that's where they think it came in. There was a gap in the yeah. berm from the quarry on... Um, what is it called? Um, conveyor Road. Yeah. Where the old conveyor used to be for the uh, quarry. Yeah. And that's a way you could get onto the property back there. And then the, the one car was moved. And that car had the same color paint that was on the busted out light yeah and another thing i thought was funny because there's memes about it but it took him eight days to find her key like because they'd been in steven's trailer many Mm -hmm. times but yet it's on day eight they find the key next to his nightstand and it only has his dna on it and that's a, a key that Teresa had for for years yeah but now all of a sudden it's it's here how did you miss that and it only it had to have been clean and wiped down and yeah. how did how did steven's finger or, or not fingerprint but dna get on it yeah because she was never in that trailer he was never in her vehicle either 
No, he wasn't. But somehow little splotches of blood were in there. But no DNA, like no fingerprints, nothing. But just that little bit of blood. Yeah, I think it was found by one of the officers or, or deputies that was like directly involved in the other case too. Um, and like you said, it was it was one day it wasn't there, and then yep. one day it just was there. Uh, that key in in his room, um, and then it was found by yeah. But I can't remember the name of maybe who it was. I I'm, I remember there was like uh, James Lank. Yeah, uh, was, he, yep, he was really involved in it. Um, Mark Wiegert yep. and uh, uh, Andrew Colburn. Those were like oh. the names that I I remember of. They were directly involved with the other other case in the '80s, and um, they were, you know, their 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 hands were all over this investigation. Um, and it, and, uh, and it wasn't supposed to be because Willis said that yeah. they were not to be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that's I mean that's just again uh, something that they could have controlled too. You know, if if they just uh, didn't allow those people to be involved in this investigation really at all i think that you know you can make the argument that there might have been a different outcome well yeah i just don't know how you missed that key mm -hmm. there's no way you missed the key the first time you were there they were there like they had they had that property for what eight days and they went through it for eight days and they didn't find nothing right. but on the last day is when they find stuff and they find just more than the key eventually and steven was very cooperative too which he was like, yeah, you can come in. And when they were questioning him, I was like, oh, man, you should have just asked for attorney because I know I wouldn't have said anything. I would have been like, nope, sorry. Not after what you did to me last time. Nope. Well, but I don't think he's because he's kind of low IQ. So he probably didn't. And he probably wanted to just cooperate to be. I think he had nothing to hide. I, I think that he was like, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, and you know, when you have nothing to hide, you, you cooperate, uh, you try to help people do their jobs. And I think that's, um, that's what he was doing, but didn't realize that whole time that he was cooperating, they were, they were thinking of him as the, the main yep. suspect. Oh yeah. They didn't have anybody else in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, they found those, um, shells, bullets they found in March of, uh, 2006. Mm -hmm. in the garage yep. how was that missed yeah and I, I think it was around that time that they started um and uh kind of the, the other aspect of this is um Brendan Dassey so yeah. I think that was his um his nephew yes uh, yes that's the, around the time it was like six or seven months after uh Teresa went missing they they interviewed um uh family members and they ended up interviewing Brendan Dassey. And then this, that's kind of where all of this takes a really a dark turn. And he was um, 16 years old at this time. Yeah. 16. And, and he had some, some mental deficits. Yeah. Um, he had mental disabilities. Yeah. He was under 70. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was uh, interviewed and interrogated uh, by and, himself. And they basically fed him a confession is what they did. They fed the confession to him, wanted him to say it back to them so they could be like, okay, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was clear in the videos that's what they're doing. I mean, putting their hand on his knee, being like, you need to tell us the truth. This oh, is, what was it? Yeah. You, you know, I mean, they acted like his friend 
and said, you're okay. Nothing's going to, you just need to tell us the truth. You know, you'll be fine. And that was a total lie. Was, well, I mean, I'll get you a soda. What would your mom think about you lying? And like, he thought he was going to go home and play video games after this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking to, especially in the documentary, because they, they video recorded those uh, interviews and um, it's pretty heartbreaking to, to see what they did to him. I think they, they they definitely, there was some manipulation. Um, like you guys said, kind of leading him to certain answers yeah. What ended up happening was he then admitted Brendan to this very, very gruesome crime um, and said that it was it was him and Stephen not only, you know, murdered Teresa, but they they assaulted her. They tortured her uh, and did all these, you know, egregious things um, to her. And he admitted to all this because of, you know, how they were kind of feeding it to him. And you're right, Casey, at the at the very end of one of the interviews, um, he's like, so am I, can I leave now? I have a, like a presentation in, yeah. in a couple hours at school. Yeah, he and was he, more he worried was, about that than being there. Yeah, yeah, he just admitted to a gruesome murder and he thought that he was going to be able to just go back to, um, to school. And he, that's where you can really get the idea that he had no idea what he just admitted to and, and what his his words actually meant, um, which is, it's just sad. It, it's sad that uh, it, it led to that, that he didn't have his, his, uh, his mom present or an attorney present um, or anything like that. They really took advantage of him. Now, oh, and his, uh, his attorney was an idiot too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cause then they, they ended up uh, doing the, you know, Stephen and Brendan were then, um, they were indicted for, you know, the murder and Stephen Avery's trial was before Brendan's. And, um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself. We, there, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between that, but, <laughs> um, a ton of stuff. It's, it's almost overwhelming kind of what happened, but, um, yeah. Or should we get to kind of the, what happened in the trial and, and the yeah. outcome and stuff like that? Well, really quick yeah. before we start that, I want to say that yeah. while they are both in custody, Brown County sheriffs call Manitowoc and tell them they have someone in custody saying someone was in jail for something he did, and that was Gregory Allen. Mm -hmm. So do what you will with that information. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think they knew. I think they knew, and they just decided to... Um, to not pay attention to it. And they didn't even think that, uh, you know, um, he, he was falsely convicted of this other crime. Could they be doing it again uh, to, to Stephen? I don't, I don't think they really wanted to, to think that could be a possibility. I well, think they just had, had it out for him and, and they just, they wanted him bad for something since he made him look so bad with, with their mm -hmm. 1985 botched case. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then they said, well, he might have been innocent then, but this turned him into wanting to kill. And even Kratz said that in his media tour, like, oh, he was plotting. Oh, like he was in prison. Kratz in his press conferences. <laughs> I know you're not a fan of Kratz. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody is. I mean, seriously, there's. 
and he even admitted to to stuff um, after the fact, after the the trial of the murder. Kratz, you know, um, he, I think he had a big ego, and this kind of put him on the map. Oh yeah, and and he even admitted, yeah, there was probably some things, I some interviews and some uh, some press releases that I probably shouldn't have done. Um, because, you know, he did a, a, a big, while they were investigating the, the murder, he did this big press conference and, and detailed with a bunch of cameras and, and everything um, what happened, allegedly. And that was that gruesome murder. And he kind of, he put that out there into the media before any trial happened or any, oh, yeah. you know, he, there was any, uh, any evidence submitted. And that kind of tainted the the public perception i think of of um the case a lot of people after that were like oh stephen avery 100 percent did it he's a cold-blooded murderer and um yeah kratz did that a few times and it's just like un- very unprofessional it's i don't know he's that's he's, he's got other kind of unreal. yeah he called stephen a psychopath mm-hmm I think yeah, you can make the argument that that Kratz was kind of the psychopath. That's what I'm. Said. That's what I'm agreeing with. There's Kratz, there's there's not something right with him. I'm sorry, there just is not. Well, his disgusting behavior with women that he was helping, and I think he just like you know had this huge ego, and he was a DA, and he had all this money. He liked the attention, is what he liked. Yeah, you yeah. could tell. Well, he's not practicing anymore, so. Well, yeah. he should never yeah. have been in the first place. No. But, I mean, going back, like, with the with the trial and everything, I mean, it's just, like, it's just hard to say exactly what happened to her. Because we don't really know. Um, because she wasn't in that trailer. There was nothing on the mattress. So, nothing that can, you no- know, say... But Brendan what, said what happened, Brendan happened, you know? Because if, if she was never in that trailer... Then there won't be any DNA. If everything Brennan said happened, there would have been a lot of DNA and blood evidence. Yes. And mm-hmm. I don't think Stephen and Brennan were going to know how to clean a, a crime scene up or were that sophisticated to be able to do that. I mean, the only thing they had is the, the bones that were found in the burn pit. But then the expert later said that she, they weren't burnt there. I know. So they never, they never, ever even found a, the the actual murder location where it took yeah. place. Yeah, we don't know because they have no idea. Yeah, they they tried to kind of make up their own story of of what happened, uh, and that was kind of throughout the the trial. And a lot of times, just with um, what I've learned, um, I, I studied criminal justice at. Uh, UW Madison, and a lot of the times with trials like that, uh, uh, stories and narratives they play a big part in examining uh, the evidence. And I think they tried to kind of create a story. Uh, you know, it was, it was their story of of what happened, and a lot of the evidence contradicted that story. But um, in the trial, they just tried to basically create a story that was better than than Stephen Avery's story. Yeah. Uh, because Stephen Avery didn't really know what was going on. He didn't really have a story. He just had uh, his, you know, what, what, you know, was his truth. And 
um, yeah, that was a big, a big thing with the trial was, uh, the, the prosecution, they, they created their own story and, um, the defense created their own and, uh, they kind of left it up to the jury to decide not basically, you know, what the evidence alluded to, but what story did the jury believe? What one was more plausible? And I think that's, that kind of actually helped them out. Well, I mean, um, I agree. Uh, it did help. Yeah. It did help them out because it, it pushed them the way that that Vogel wanted and Lee Kratz wanted. And if you look at the evidence, like the like the, the blood evidence and everything, it it goes back to the 1985 case. They went back to pull his the uh, the blood from the 1985 case, the the tube of blood, and the seals on that evidence were broken. And the blood was still liquid in there, but there was a needle hole in the top. Mm-hmm. So that's how his blood got in the car. And um, and Kathleen gets uh, agrees. I mean, Kathleen did all those tests to see, you know, how it drips and all this stuff, and you know, flakes of blood. You ain't gonna find flakes of blood. It's gonna soak into the carpet of the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially well, yeah. down between a console and a seat. Well, Gary, what what are your opinions? I know me and Alexis kind of differ on this mm-hmm. about his defense attorneys. I think they did the best with what they had. They didn't yeah. have all the info though. No, they yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I think uh the, the two defense attorneys, they're from uh Wisconsin. Um one was Jerry Buting. And the other was uh, Dean Strang. Yeah. And um, I was I was talking to you, Casey, about this. Yep. That I actually had the the pleasure of meeting Jerry Buting um, at a uh, through a club that I was involved in at, at UW Madison, and this was um, a couple years ago. And I was able to 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 meet him, and um, it was with a bunch of other you know students. But we were able to ask him questions about not only his experience, but you know, making a murder, the Stephen Avery case definitely came up. And uh, I was able to just, you know, learn more about what he thought, how everything played out. And um, there was there was a lot of evidence that, that they wished that they could have used, but um, they weren't able to. And so it, it's tough when you, you're trying to get everything on the record and, and give all the evidence. But a lot of the times, um, just through procedure, they weren't able to. And what they really honed in on was uh, that there was this huge um, conflict of interest of how the investigation happened and and how the evidence came up. And so they, they tried to use the defense that um, there was some basically malpractice that that the uh, the investigators, um, they had, you know, they didn't have true intentions and that some of the evidence, you know, probably was altered or planted by the investigators. And um, that's the kind of the defense that they, that they took. And uh, they kind of had to, to run with it. Um, and that's a tough one because they were basically accusing the, uh, the, the police departments and the sheriff's office of, of not doing their job well. And uh, that's, that's the defense that they had to, to run with. And that's, that's tough. That's a tough story to convince like a jury or anybody that 
um, hey, we we don't know who did it, but it, it wasn't it wasn't our guy. It wasn't Stephen Avery. It was somebody else. And uh, at the trial, they weren't allowed to. The judge didn't allow them to point the finger at someone else. Um, they 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 barred the defense from doing that. And so I think that that Jerry Buting and Dean Strang they did you know, everything they could. And I, I have a lot of respect for them. I was, like I said, I was able to meet Jerry. Um, he wrote a book called the illusion of justice and it, it you know, talked more about that, that case. Um, and I think they're very, you know, uh, intellectual guys and, and they did everything that, that they could, but, uh, they still think he's innocent. You know, that character came up even a couple of years ago and they still 100% believe that, that Stephen Avery did not do this. I I, yeah, I agree. Passionate. They were yeah. very passionate about him, and I know uh, Avery because he said in you know the making the murder that there was like fifteen things that they didn't do, and he's like, I don't feel like they helped me, and I know he felt a certain type of way, which you can raise that and say, you know, I had ineffective counsel, but I thought they did mm. good for what. You know, with what information they had and the evidence they had, they did what they could. Could they have asked for more testing? Yes, but the the question is, what would the cost be for that testing and to bring the experts in to go over the results of that testing? Yeah, because Stephen didn't get a lot of that money. Like, right. What, yeah. Fifty thousand. Yeah. That doesn't. That. You know, I mean, if you get like an expert like Henry Lee or someone like that, oof, that's going to be gone. Yeah, because with the um the settlement, he settled that uh that civil case against the uh, Manitowoc sheriff or Manitowoc County. Um, he was looking to get thirty six million. Um, and he ended up having to settle for like six hundred thousand just so he could pay his Boop. his defense attorneys Jerry and Dean. Uh, he he had to use that settlement money just to pay for the legal fees to represent him. So you know he didn't have an abundance of money to, to get all of the, you know, testing and investigation that was basically needed. So it's, it sucks when that happens. And I can't imagine them having to go up against Kratz and they weren't even allowed to like say, Hey, it could be other people because personally yeah. I have a list of suspects it could be the, the roommate, the ex-boyfriend, because they never even really questioned him. He even admitted they didn't question him mm -hmm. why did they not question him uh michael the brother i thought he was a little weird and but i lean towards more bobby dassey and then the mm -hmm. stepdad that's who i lean more towards yeah <laughs> that's i think that's um that's uh even what they're doing now you mentioned um alexis uh, kathleen zellner yeah uh, that that was um so uh I think everyone at, at this point understands that Stephen Avery did get, he got convicted um, and uh, of murder and was sentenced to, I think, was it life? Life without parole. Yeah. And uh, they, Kathleen Zellner ended up taking Stephen Avery on as a client um, on appeal in, in post-conviction. Um, and, and they've, uh, you know, I think even at this point, um, they think that too that that Bobby Dassey, who was Brendan's brother, I think it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they they think that uh, he definitely had had something to do with it. But again, it's about proving it. It's about proving it in court, and um, they they they've been shut down to, to uh, up till this point. Well, and Bobby uh, has told two different stories. He told his brother yeah. was it Brian that he saw Teresa leave the property, or. Am I saying that correct? Do I have my notes right? But then but then he says to the police that he saw her walking towards Stephen's trailer. Now, she wouldn't be going to Stephen's trailer. Stephen was already outside with her. Yeah, waiting. He, yeah, he was waiting and he had the check and gave it to her. And it wasn't a long interaction with them. No, she took the pictures. He went up to her car. He, he, she gave her him a auto trader magazine. He paid her the money for the pictures, and she left. So I don't know why Bobby's story is different when he was on the stand than what he's telling his family members. And why did they not call Brian to the stand to refute what his brother had said? I would, I would think that the um, defense would definitely want that to happen. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Bobby was like the prosecution's number one like star witness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they really needed him uh, to to prove their story uh, to to kind of bolster it. Um, and I think that overall is just because when they were investigating, they they thought they had their guy again. It was one of those they they thought um, they thought it was uh, Stephen Avery's you know, shoe and they were going to make it fit no, no matter what they had to do. And they, uh, and they, and they weren't even, you know, thinking that it was, could be someone else. No. And they took down a 16 year old kid with them. Yeah. And I, well, I think Avery would have been convicted regardless, but to get a, a sweet 16 year old kid whose IQ is less than 70 and he actually had a chance of possibly getting out and then he got screwed in the seventh district court, mm -hmm. um, which, I don't even know because anybody that saw that interrogation just to me that's that wasn't right. Well, and it's also said in the documentary that the jurors did not even get to see the last hour to hour and a half of Brendan's March first interrogation. Yeah, and that one juror that got um, like he was excused because of the medical. Yeah, family said. Yeah, he said he would have held it up because he said that they were just, like, ready to convict Steve and they didn't really want to look at anything. Like, he said it was very biased. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Manitok put, put pressure on that, that jury, like, hey, you know, you need to convict. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think when they did their, you know, deliberations, it wasn't, uh, they weren't all on board, uh, all of the jurors of uh, a guilty of verdict. I think it was, like, split. It was, like... Yeah six and six or something like that, um, that, you know, six, six people thought, uh, he was guilty and six people thought he was innocent. And then they obviously made their deliberations, uh, and, and came to the guilty verdicts. But yeah, they didn't think a lot of them were not convinced, you know, um, that, you, that this happened. And you know what I would like to see? I would like to see the, all the jurors, I'd like to see what their, reaction to all the work that Kathleen Zellner's put in. I mm. want to know if that's changed their minds at all. 
Yeah, maybe we'll get a third season of Making a Murderer. I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's in the works. I think that they're going to see it out as, as long as they can because they're still fighting it. Well, Jack uh, is done right, though. He's completely done. Yeah, and yeah, just to kind of go over that quick, um, he, he was, uh, he took his, his case um, to the, like you said, the 7th District, which is a, a federal court, and his, Brendan's um, conviction was actually overturned by a federal judge. Yes. Uh, and it was based on that his, his constitutional rights um, were uh, impeded, um, you know, a f- false confe- confession. Uh, I think it was like the, maybe the, the Fourth or Fifth Amendment. And um, yeah, he actually won that. A judge overturned it, which rarely ever happens. Um, and then it went to a, pl- a panel of, of judges. So it went to three judges. They once again, you know, confirmed that decision that Brendan did not, you know, commit this and that he was, um, it was a false confection. And then it went to an, an en banc um, panel, which I think was around nine judges. And um, that's when they, they overturned the other judges' uh, decisions, and they, they decided that um, Brendan did commit the, uh, the murder. His conviction was, um, was good. So it is even more sad that he, he was that close to, to getting out because um, they probably would have just released him. But then uh, the on the banc decision kept him in prison, and unfortunately he's, he's still in prison and doesn't have much, uh, you know, many more options to fight it. And I'm wondering if they thought Stephen would get out if they let him out. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how that would have played out, but... Um, it's just heartbreaking that that it's it's pretty obvious um, that he he was he falsely confessed and uh, he's still he's still serving time. They basically yeah. based Stephen's whole case off of Brendan's confession. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were they were biased from the start, and and Brendan, you could tell the kid could not come up with something as elaborate as this. And he was mm-hmm. so excited about getting out, planning what he was going to eat with his mom. And- mm-hmm. Going back to school to do his presentation. A kid who murders somebody ain't going to be like that. Mm-hmm. No. He just, yeah. and he, he gets letters and stuff in prison and likes to write to people and everything. But he actually, I think, will he be like 40 or something when he gets out? Because he actually does have, he, he's going to be able to get out at some point. I think it's, he'll be 59 years old. Gosh, and go in the so young. I just can't even imagine. I mean, Steven spent most of his life in prison. Yeah. 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 I think with the, the uh, spending 18 years um, for the other, you know, false conviction. Um, and then now he's been in prison since like 2005. Yeah. Um, I think he spent it's it's terrible. I think he spent more, you know, majority of his life in prison. And you could make the argument that it's all, you know, false. He's falsely imprisoned. Um, he's been falsely imprisoned this entire time. So it's uh, it, it definitely, and especially with the documentary, and I think you guys would agree, it does pull out your heartstrings a little bit to, to you know, know all this information and, and the fact that uh, they're, they're still in prison. It's, um, it's tough, to, tough to really understand. 
Well, yeah, not what well, happened to Teresa. Yeah. And, and and then the other thing is is that Ryan Hillegas, the ex-boyfriend, won't even talk to Kathleen at all. Oh no. He's he was weird. And I mean, he just Kathleen says that his stories are too elaborate and that people who are do stuff and get away with it, they tend to have elaborate stories about what happened. Well, he kind of had a little smirk when he was when he was testifying. Like I kind of caught that. Yeah, I did too. Um, and I thought the the her brother Michael. I don't know. I thought it was weird that he was getting to the voicemails and deleting, or you know, there's just so many people it could be. And even if there was, like, okay, maybe Stephen did do it, um, but there's just the evidence just really isn't there, and I just don't think that man's ever going to get out. I don't either. And then, I mean, we can also go back to the fact that a truck driver, you know, contacted Kathleen and said he saw Teresa's RAV4 parked off the road in some trees on November 3rd. And then he goes into a gas station and sees the missing person poster with the car on it. And in walked a Manitowoc County officer. And that officer was none other than Andrew Colburn. Can't stand him. Yeah. He's another... Now, that location of the vehicle where he saw it was three-tenths of a mile from Scott Tadich's trailer. And Scott yeah. Tadich is Brendan's stepdad. Well, and Bobby's search history was disturbing. On the computer, that was... Yeah. Everything that they say happened to um, Teresa was basically found on Bobby's personal computer. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there were some disturbing, very disturbing searches. Yeah, and I think that goes a lot to, like, motivation. I, I think that you know, Stephen and Brendan, they, the, the, motiv the motivation is kind of up in the air, and something that I kind of wrestle with is uh, they, they went after these two guys for this murder. Why, why, are, why are they doing this? You know, why, what is, why would there be... Um, a reason for them to, he just got out of, of being in prison for 18 years for a crime he didn't commit. Why would he, you know, go back and, and take it any chance of, of committing any further crimes? Um, and the, the whole motivation piece is something that uh, really sticks with me. Uh, and I don't think they really ever gave a reason why, um, other than, you know, the claim that Stephen Avery was just this master you know psychopath mastermind killer which is far-fetched you know why why would he do this why why would he want to uh potentially go back to to prison when he just got out so well uh, yeah it's um so you guys remember jody right she was in there the ex-fiance because he doesn't have a shortage of women even though he's in prison right? yeah he definitely has no shortage of women well jody yeah. said and uh in 2016, she did an interview with Nancy Grace that her support on the documentary was an act. She feels he is not innocent because he made threats to kill her and her family and a friend of hers and said basically he's a monster. And he wrote her threatening letters from prison, which I know they did talk about that in with the rape case. He was the letters he was sending to his, you know, ex-wife. Mm -hmm. So apparently now she Jody thinks he's, you know. Well, and then we also have to mention the fact that November 3rd, that Chucky 
And Steve were going to Menards and they saw taillights down their road. Yeah. And then the next day, Chucky sees headlights down by his house and calls Steven and asks him to come and check it out. And they didn't find anything. So yeah, I, they 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 think that November third, since Stephen cut his hand, finger and had blood all over the sink, is when yeah. that someone snuck in and got the blood evidence to put and plant into Teresa's car. Yeah, see, we're never going to know what exactly happened. I know they did the reenactment. Mm -hmm. the, the reenactment sealed it for me with the evidence. Yeah, it was all it, planted. It yeah, it makes it makes sense. Um, I don't know. And then, you know, you have that phone call between Steven and, and Barbara and she's like, you know, you better tell that witch lawyer yours, like quit going after my, my son and, and mm -hmm. my husband. And, and Steven's like, I don't know. I didn't do it. Like, yeah. like he's just like, his lawyer's just following the leads. Yeah. She was livid. I think she even called Kathleen. She I did. Not yeah. She said she did call Kathleen. But yeah, Stephen's like, I don't know, because I didn't do it. He goes, Why is that on the search history? Mm -hmm. You know, it's and Stephen's such a simple guy. Yeah. He's also low IQ. I can't see him being a mastermind to do all this stuff. It's just so far fetched. It's it just doesn't it doesn't make sense uh, really at all. And uh, yeah, that's what they. I mean, and they they kind of had to argue with the whole planting evidence and. Um, that there was uh, uh, that in play. That's a tough thing to argue at, at a trial is basically, you know, police officers are planting evidence. Um, obviously, they're going to dispute that. And that's, that's, I think, what happened here is that there, um, there, there was some evidence uh, planted or um, something to that. There was, there was something not right going on. But uh, to, you know, accuse that of a, of a police department they don't like that. <laughs> they, they're going to do anything they can to. They take to it very personally and they will yeah. go out of their way to make your life oh, so hard. And mm -hmm. I feel bad for Steven's family, his parents. Oh. Well, mm -hmm. that whole family. I mean, Barb even said that they don't even get together for holidays anymore. No. Mm -hmm. And his mom wasn't doing very well. She was having a hard time walking and, mm -hmm. and just. She had what knee sad. surgery and she had Parkinson's. Was and then I was think it that Parkinson's? They had oh, she had diabetes too. Yeah, diabetes. Yeah. But it's just, you know, because I think they, they had to sell a lot of stuff. And I think they actually did put the salvage yard up for uh, bail. Well, I know that they had to quickly like strip a bunch of cars for the copper and all the the important like parts they could take in for money to keep to to pay the bills because this has destroyed them personally and financially and reputationally. And they're going up there all the time to see him, and then they have him in like the prison where like very violent people, and it's just like Stephen just to me. I can see him having a temper, but he just, to me, he just he seems like a very simple guy. Like, and if he ever, ever does get out, he needs to just leave that state. I wouldn't even try to get any money. Nope. I, would I would just leave and be done with it. Yeah, I think yep. he said he would do something like that. And I do not blame him at all. I would get as far away. I'd go somewhere warm. <laughs> I'd, I'd go to like, I don't know, Florida or something like that. He, he definitely needs to get out of there. 
I'm sure he'd get married right away. He's got all those women. He, yeah. he always is wanting yeah. to get married. I know. He's always got it. He's always got a woman. And he's always wanting to marry that woman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he went through, what, like three or four girlfriends over the course of the documentary? Yeah, yeah, he had that older one that, like, I think they still stayed in contact, but she had to end the engagement. And then there was that one that was on Dr. Phil that I think that was, like, for publicity. But Yeah, I agree. I, I just hope that, and t- the thing that's sad is, like, Teresa's family, I would want the person that really did it. I, I agree. I agree. I, I want to know. Just, yeah, I wish they just, you know, would just look at, and I get it. It's hard, but it is hard. I, I, I know I know from you know familiar familial experience with having a murder in my family, how how with the toll it took on that side of my family. And you do want the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. I think that's uh one thing that is definitely worth mentioning is um, you know, we we obviously have a lot of empathy for for Steven and Brendan and in this uh, and a lot of people do uh, but when it comes down to it you know the, the hall box they lost a, a big piece of their family and um, I think you know it would be uh, is 100% worth mentioning that there's that other aspect of it that a whole other side that um, they have to deal with all of this too that maybe they have some questions about uh, who actually killed their family member. And that, that's, that's hard in itself because they already had to, you know, lose her. So definitely, uh, I, I don't think anybody would, um, would disagree with that, that it, it would, it, it's just as hard for them to go through all of this and not have the closure that, um, that they should have. Especially with such a high profile case that, you know, is nationally known. You know, mm-hmm. like everybody, you know, everybody knew a lot of people knew about it because of the fact it was splashed all over the national news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I hope that uh, everybody gets justice and I hope that I did email Kathleen because mm-hmm. another co-worker is like, hey, why don't you get her on the podcast? Well, I don't know. <laughs> You'd have to be big time for that. But <laughs> that'd but be awesome. That'd be wild. Maybe, maybe she'll, we'll send her this. Send her this episode and, and tell her that, uh, you know, we got some hard-hitting questions for her. I, I don't know. You, you never know. Yeah, because there's stuff that we don't know that was in there. But I think this has been good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so think there's now, even more that wasn't told in the documentary that we don't even know. True. That's yeah. I, I think that's that's definitely could be uh, – it was a show. You know, they, it was a, they made a show. Um, so – Jeremy, now you get to answer three questions. All right, I've been I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. I'm. Is it? Do I get? Do I have to answer all three, or is it? You do I get one that I don't on, have to? You You can only pass on one. Okay. And okay. Uh, so I use my little Taylor bucket, and I shake it. Lexus doesn't even know these questions. I like to surprise people. Okay, I'm nervous. She keeps me on my toes. <laughs> She makes me nervous sometimes too, Jeremy. (laughs) Okay, Uh, Jeremy, are you ready for it? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay. What has been going on in your life recently that you expected and didn't expect? Uh, Great question. Great question. Um, 
I think uh, what I what I didn't expect, and, and you know, we talked about this um, earlier, was uh, becoming a member of a band. Um, that was something very uh, whimsical. I'd say I was not expecting that to ever happen. I didn't think I'd ever play live music. Um, didn't think I'd ever be good enough. I I I, I didn't want to make a fool of myself. I wanted to, um, you know, be good and put on a good show and. It was uh, it was pretty nerve wracking, but definitely not something that I, you know, growing up, I never thought I would do anything like that. And um, it, it was it was awesome. It was it was really cool uh, playing live music and playing with with um, the guys in the band was uh, it brought out a new side of me, a, a more artistic side. I was able to become a lot better at not only playing the drums, but just listening to music and learning about music and. Um, and, and kind of going from there. And uh, it, it was just it was just fun to say that I, I was in a band. Um, it was, you know, it was a, it made my head big. I my ego got bigger. Um, but uh, it was really just for fun. And it was something that I'll always cherish. And I can use that experience to um, to hopefully keep playing in the future. So that was that was one that was not expected. Um, to, you know, to answer the other side of it, uh, I, I think, um, you know, something that I have expected was I've really settled in um, with uh, with my job, with with working at, um, you know, wh where we work and uh, being able to kind of settle into um, meeting a lot, a lot of new people and, and feeling more confident in my abilities to um, to do a good job. And so I think that was something that I was was expecting as time went on. I've only been there for a little bit over a year uh, and I've gotten a lot more confident and um, doing things like this, like this is, uh, this is really cool for me. So uh, it's been, it's been great to, to meet everybody, but yeah, that's, Aww. that's my answer. Okay. Yeah. Next question is what is your biggest fear? Man, biggest fear. Um, I would say that I'm super fearless. Uh, I have no fears. Um, that's that's just a lie. But I don't know. I, I don't fear like I'm not like a phobia guy. Like I don't mind spiders. I don't mind snakes. Um, <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm, I, I don't think I'd be in the same room as them like by choice. But it's those are not like I'm not that type of guy that's, you know, really, really scared with, you know, those things. I would say my biggest fear would probably be like being stranded in the ocean. I think the ocean is so like wild and we only know like what, like 10% of what actually goes on there. Yeah. Don't trust it. Don't <laughs> want to do it. I get seasick. I think I got seasick on Lake Michigan, so I can't imagine how I'd be in an ocean. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the ocean and the unknown of the ocean. That's my final answer. That's okay. a good answer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Last question. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you pick? Whew. Any historical figure. I'm assuming that this is like uh, alive and not alive type yep. thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, hmm. I don't just want to say something. I want it to be a good answer. Uh, 
I'd probably go with like. Hmm. Maybe like George Washington. I've been learning a lot about George Washington recently and about how um, he was like a crazy dude. He had like horse teeth and was had like metal in his teeth and was just like an insane guy because he went crazy from having like metal and lead in his teeth. Heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, something like that. And so I would want to I would want to talk to him around that time just to see how we talk. Like, how do you talk with, like, horse teeth? It doesn't, it doesn't add up for me. And then, obviously, you know, great guy. Great guy. Love the U.S. of A. Love all, everything he did for America. I mean, just overall stand-up guy. Those are good answers. Yeah. I didn't even have to skip one. I, didn't I know. One. I'm excited you didn't have to skip one. Nobody yeah. so far has skipped any. I, you know, C-Boss was kind of a little th- thrown, but that's okay. Um, he's, um, we get a lot of good feedback on him, but mm-hmm. uh, we do appreciate you coming on. I thought this was fun. Yeah, th- this is awesome. I, I love talking about, I-, I know that my background is kind of in criminal justice, same with you, Casey. And mm-hmm. um, talking about this stuff is fun. It's fun to talk about things you're interested in and um, to talk about things that. Controversial. Uh, yeah, you know that are that matter that actually like have uh, um, have a bearing on, Real on um, society. Yeah, so yeah, and you, yeah, and you can tell the other coworkers it's not scary coming on here with us. I mean, I I've, I've been shaking in my boots this entire time, so I don't know if I could. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could say that. We need uh, to get Pat on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to Pat. Shout out to Blaine. Obviously, C Boss. Huge shout out. Um, I, I you know I hope they they. Uh, they they listen to the episode and, and get a kick out of it. They're next. They're next. So now that uh, that I've been on, um, they they gotta they gotta answer the call. They gotta answer the call. Well, oh, we and- have enjoyed having you today. This has been really great. Yeah. Oh, I, I was gonna ask you one final question. Are you ready okay. for the fame, Jeremy? Are you ready for it? I you go ahead. Are you, yeah. Are you ready for the fame? Am I ready for the pain? Fame. Spell for being on the me. podcast, you're already famous. Oh. oh yeah, no, I think that uh, <laughs> I think that I'm prepared for this. I think I'm prepared for the paparazzi and plebis, plebis, pub, publicity. That's easy for me to say. Um, I'm ready to be famous. I'm ready to go viral, uh, and you guys have to be too. I mean this this is gonna this is gonna hit numbers, and um, we just gotta stay humble, all three of us. Yes. Yeah. Do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, curious to see your numbers versus C-Boss's numbers. Yeah, yeah. If if we pass his, then I, I'm definitely going to have to to bring that up. And um, I know that he was a fan favorite, so I'm hoping that uh, that that I can at least get to, to his numbers. But um, this is, I you know, I my last shout-out will be uh, to you guys because I, I know that, um, you know, I've, I've listened to your guys' episodes, and, and you guys do a great job. I mean – it's uh, it's actually very entertaining and um, it's it's hard. It's not easy to to do this stuff sometimes and um, you guys kind of go all in. And so I respect that. I respect you guys a lot. So shout out to you. Shout out to Notorious Escapades. Uh, I, I really appreciate you guys having me. Well, thank you so much. That was that was so nice of you to say. I'm my heart's melting right now. Yeah, don't make me cry. Don't yeah. come on now. 
Well, I'm being serious. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So keep up the great work. Okay, we will well, try. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. definitely have to have you come back on again at another time. I would. I would love to. Yeah. Um. I. I. We could talk about whatever. I'm always down to talk about. Uh. Uh. Maybe. Maybe me and Steve Boss could get on an episode together. Start. Start talking about movies again. We could. Yeah. Great idea. Anything to 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 get back on. We'll get something scheduled. Yeah. All right. I'll have my people contact your people, and then we'll schedule a time. <laughs> yeah. This sounds so good to me. Yeah. Okay. okay well, uh, you enjoy Denver, and we'll let you go. Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Yeah. See ya. Bye. I would like to thank everyone for tuning in. We had an amazing guest today, and he did an amazing job. I hope he comes back in the future. I'll turn it back over to my host, Casey. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Um, So show your support for Jeremy with the follow and the listens. He was amazing to have on. All of our guests have been amazing. We love to have guests on. We've had some amazing guests. Um, in a couple weeks, we'll have another one. Um, so yeah, just lots of stuff. And we, as always, I know this one was a little bit long, but we appreciate everybody listening and we will see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye.